Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Marvin Mackey. Dr. Mackey spent the first two years of his career in small animal practice in Chicago, Illinois. After a move to Southern California in 1965, he built a reputation as a superb relief veterinarian. In 1976, while releasing at a spay-neuter clinic, he discovered his role in the effort to humanely control pet overpopulation. Partnered with a colleague, he opened a spay-neuter clinic each year for the next six years. By breaking new ground and setting new standards of production, he changed the image and status of the spay-neuter clinic. In early 1988, he embraced and began promoting early-age spay-neuter through a widely distributed amateur video showing the ease of surgery and the rapid recovery of his young patients. In 1991, he developed a method to reach and help feral cats. His last full year of practice, he added 1,562 ferals, all from client walk-ins, to the other scheduled 7,276 patients. Through the years, Dr. Mackey developed and perfected a minimally invasive, safe surgical technique that is now being used extensively and is highly praised by those who have studied with him. We must include affordable spay-neuter in our menu of services to the pet community, says Dr. Mackey. Dr. Mackey has lectured, taught, and conducted wet labs throughout the United States and many other countries. His reputation as a spay-neuter specialist has gained him worldwide recognition. Since retiring from clinic ownership in 2008, Dr. Mackey has concentrated his efforts on teaching his quick spay technique, which covers the entire process from making the appointment to discharge of the patient, helping others to create spay-neuter clinics, and developing programs for veterinarians and organizations in Mexico. Having accomplished some 250,000 spay-neuter surgeries, Dr. Mackey has a lot of knowledge to share. Wow, 250,000 spay-neuter surgeries. Dr. Mackey, that is amazing, and thank you so much for being on the show. It's a real pleasure to be on with you. Uh, your introduction was uh, very complete, and uh, I hope to be able to expand and expound on it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So how did you get started? What, what made you want to become a veterinarian? Why I wanted to become a veterinarian is different than uh, than most. They have their life they've wanted to do it. Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, I told my mother, I said, well, I think I'll join the service and try and find myself. In other words, a euphemism for I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I would go do that. And she said, no way, you will go to college first. Yes, mother. And so I figured I better start figuring out what I want to do seriously. I refer to a a car that I saw driving down the gravel road off our, near our property and recognized it as the local veterinarian. And I recalled how I made a lot of, discharged a lot of ideas, but I, that one came in. I like animals. I'm going to be a large animal practitioner. I'm going to go to veterinary school. And so that's how it kind of got started. 
Wow, that's fascinating that you were interested in, in large animal spay neuter, but then you ended up really promoting pediatric spay neuter, which are quite little animals. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I went through. I was going to be a, a large animal practitioner. It, it turned out that, that I hadn't I hadn't done all that well in small animal medicine. And my uh, mentors at my hometown said, you know, Marvin, uh, you should probably go and do small animal medicine and learn it, or you'll never know it. And I listened to my elders, my superiors, and I said, that makes good sense. And that's how I got back to Chicago. So you had some other veterinarians that served as mentors for you um, when you worked in private practice? No, I uh, was raised on a farm, and that's what I did was uh, attend to the uh, the cattle, sheep, chickens, everything that was uh, possible uh, with my life. I didn't actually work with the veterinarians, but it was a small community, and so everybody knew everybody. And after uh, a couple of years in Chicago, I, I, I had learned enough of small animal medicine, and I discovered the uh, doing vacation relief. And doing vacation relief, I hadn't decided on what else I wanted to do until I went into vacation relief, and that's what I did for about 10 years, going from hospital to hospital over this one and over to that one, and uh, in, enjoyed what I was doing. But uh, I had one of my assignments, and you alluded to it in the intro, is that I, I worked at a spay and neuter clinic that was owned and run by uh, a, a group of veterinarians, which at that time was very unusual. They uh, they had uh, had a emergency hospital and uh, the pressure was coming on. They saw that they really needed to do that, provide the service for the uh, people of their community, and uh, so they decided to do a low cost clinic during the days in that emergency hospital. Uh, that is a, a major thing that I think is not being followed and looked on by a lot of people across the country. There are probably a lot of your emergency hospitals who are sitting idle during the day, and that is one area that people could should really take a look at. Yeah, that's a fascinating idea. I never I never thought about that with the fact that the emergency clinics who are all outfitted and, you know, ready to treat animals during the day, it makes perfect sense that they should be utilized on a 24-hour basis without having to invest in a whole brand new infrastructure. And it would be wonderful to, you know, that very uh, forward thinking of that group you uh, think that way. Yeah, it, it was. And so I, I worked with them for about three months. And at the end of that three-month time, I usually didn't only worked a few weeks, but this was in the winter, and uh, I was happy where I was, and they were happy with me. And uh, what uh, a- after the end of that, I was coming up with the cat season, and uh, we, I saw the cats coming in le- right and left, and I saw uh, that was kind of my epiphany of what I was going to do. I saw the need, and I, I felt that uh, I could uh, step in and uh, make, a, make a difference because I saw a lot of being in different places, I could tell the surgeons were very different in their abilities. And so I knew about a uh, some major stakeholders getting together, and they were trying to figure out what we were going to do about uh, addressing pet overpopulation or pet overproduction. And they came up with, uh, I'll say the acronym, they came up with the left. Less, L-E-S, legislation, education, and the sterilization. Well, I couldn't do anything about legislation and education, 
but I sure could do something about sterilization. And so I said, that's what I want to do. That's where I can make my make my mark. It went from then on. One of the things that you contributed to that S component, the sterilization component, is something called a quick stay technique. Can you describe for us, our listeners, what that means? Well, the quick spay actually came very late in my, by, by name. My, my business name was Animal Birth Control. That served me very well, and I, I kept uh, figuring out ways to be more efficient and be able to be more productive and do it in a meaningful way. I then created the term quick spay. Originally, I was talking about the actual surgery. <clears throat> I then described it as being uh, the whole process of being able to produce large numbers of surgery patients and completion of it from the examination, pre-op, anesthesia, surgical prep, surgical procedure, recovery, and the discharge. And there's and I call that the quick spay technique. No one of those areas, if it's creating a bottleneck, has to be addressed. So it's, it's the big picture that finally came out that I was working on and working toward. And is that a, that's a technique that ideally you would like to see utilized more readily in private practice? Yeah, yes, I would. And it doesn't mean that they, they have to do that whole process. I'm looking at the more of the ones where they actually have days where they have surgical days at, at a site or a couple of sites and have nothing but surgeries scheduled and either a few or many veterinarians and their staff or members of the community get together and they make it almost like a party out of moving the animals from uh, that have been a, a made an appointment and where they come and go through the procedure and are reunited with their owner. They're jumping ahead a little bit, that's what I've been doing down in, in Mexico is working with the, what they call campaigns. And those campaigns, they'll have a day set aside and veterinarians, and there's usually anywhere from four to ten veterinarians and their staffs that all get together and they're doing hundreds of animals in a day. And that's what we need to do in the, uh, really getting around to uh, effectively addressing the uh, pet overproduction. Right now, still, we're at surgical sterilization as the uh, real means of being able to effectively address it. There's been a lot of conversation about this spay-neuter solution falling on the shelter's shoulders, and here you are proposing a role for private practice to have with Staying and neutering and sterilizing community cats at low, low cost or affordable cost, spay neuter pricing for folks in the community. And I think that point is very important because there's so many communities that aren't scalable to a high volume spay neuter clinic. The, the smaller, the more rural communities that have maybe one or two doctors or veterinarians within a certain range. And do you feel that it's important to have both models present in the United States to be able to handle our overpopulation problems? Uh, the answer is yes, because there's uh, there's so much difference uh, in the in the needs of any community, and any community can be either a small village like I grew up in or a megatropolis like Los Angeles, and uh, you need to get as many people involved 
as you can and as, as, as is necessary to make a difference. And you can only make a difference if you start getting into large enough numbers that are being sterilized so they aren't uh, putting out offspring. If it's a smaller community and only a few veterinarians, if, if each of them either are on a rotation or spend, uh, say, I don't know, on one afternoon, going to be, uh, I mean, it's going to be nothing but spay neuter or not taking any other appointments and then fill up that uh, space with their surgery schedule. And the, the, the key there then is if you know how to do the surgery with uh, uh, dispatch, I call it, being able to get in, get done, and get out and move on to the next one smoothly, and you'll do more in a shorter period of time, and you'll feel really good about the end of the day when you have sent home, say, 10 or 15 animals in just a half a day at your clinic. And that's all you're uh, required to do in your area because it's smaller and you'll have all kinds of uh, levels of need and abilities in, uh, in any given geographic area that is called a community. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide and seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. You've been involved 20 plus years. How have you seen the overpopulation situation change across the country? Back when, when I got, when I got started in, in the 70, uh, 1976, part of the uh, realization of just how bad it was was the figure that was being bantied around as being 19 million animals euthanized in the United States as a uh, per year. That just uncalled for. It's just uh, it's heart wrenching. And so uh, over a period of time, and it wasn't happening uh, very. Very fast. It took me uh, a good ten years to kind of reach a point to where I was <clears throat> making a difference and was being asked to uh, uh, help people out. The big help them out in their their abilities, and uh, people wanted to come and and see what it was I I did, and I could show them in three days what it is that they needed to do and what they could change to me and fit their purpose. But the big major con- uh, major revelation came in the late 80s when uh, doc- a fellow by the name of Dr. Lieberman suggested that we should be doing animals at a much younger age. It euphemistically got called early age neutering. And it was about seven years from the time that he he mentioned that that should be, a, be brought into the uh, consciousness before it finally was somewhat accepted by enough veterinarians to be helpful. Seven years to take a thing that we had been taught forever and everybody did it. Wait till they have their first heat. Maybe uh, at six months, maybe they did come and eat. Maybe they didn't. They ought to have a litter litter first too. All of those things were needing to be knocked out, uh, taken off the plate and finally it did. Once that happened, it started moving by the time of the turn of the century in the year 2000. It was getting to be pretty much uh, accepted by enough people that it was making a difference. Now, I, and it's been some time, it been, we have been kind of stuck on 4 million, 3.5, 4 million. Don't know why it's, it's, it's stuck. But from 19 million in 40 years to drop down to, to uh, 4 million is an eternity, but at least it's done. 
Do you uh, see that number going down more over the next five to ten years? Probably, but it, I think uh, it ne- it'll never get down to a zero. There's a place for everybody. The circumstances uh, are such that it just uh, isn't going to happen. Many of the problems that we have in the human side of things, you can never get to zero on something that you think is absolutely ideal. You want to get there and you want to go there. So probably not, but I think it can come down to to more like a like a million a million over uh, the entire United States and how many people have animals. But with, uh, along with that forty year uh, dropping from the nineteen down to four million, take into f- in the fact that the population has increased a whole lot. So if it, the relation of how many animals at nineteen million to get to the population and what it would be. If it would stayed the same and on the same track, it would have been in the 25 million. I'm just pulling it off the top of my head, but it would have been right. a lot more. It wouldn't. Have, it right. wouldn't be where it is. So uh, we were beating uh, beating the growth of uh, uh, of the pet industry by and getting more done to where it was possible to be be handled. But that's what the people in legislation and education, which is where you are in the education part, and then the legislators comes in and they had had their role also. They had all three of them have to come together and they, they are and they, they have and they are. So let's uh, jump back a little bit and talk about your project in Mexico. Can you tell me a little more detail about that? Well, uh, there's a, a group that uh, once I was retired from active ownership and active working here, I, I, I didn't feel my job was done, but I wasn't going to be very effective on doing that, which I kind of knew the best. And I'd gotten involved first in the United States, I would say that I, I saw the first massive clinics where a number of uh, really talented veterinarians that skilled, I should use that one, skilled veterinarians got together on an Indian reservation or reservations up in Montana and were going and, and doing major projects up there, one, two, and three-day projects, and it was making a difference. Okay, so I, I got the idea about that it is possible to put large groups together if you have the right uh, structure. There's, uh, in Mexico, one of the first things that we had to do is actually go to the schools. There's a number of us that were from the States and a few that I trained from Mexico. And we went in and had to literally talk to them and tell them and, and explain how important it was to even do bay and neuter in order to do something and address the problem. The problem in Mexico is the same as the problem is almost everywhere else in the world. There's way too many uh, animals being produced, and so every area, uh, with a couple of minor exceptions, uh, are having that problem. And so once we worked with them and talked to them about getting interested in it and show and tell we had clinics. We actually, there were six of us in a place that there was only room for, somebody would say there was only room for one veterinarian in these team. Well, there'd be six of us, and each of us had four people watching. I, my teaching was to do a portion of the surgery and then just hand the instruments to the person that was standing across from me and telling them, now you do the same thing on this horn, and then the back and forth, and they were starting to get involved and they were getting into it. So now, growing to the point that it, uh, they actually they actually have a, an association called SPAY, 
Mexico. It's made up of veterinarians, and they have veterinarians that are going around and teaching down there. And this all started in the 2009, 2010. So we've made a big strides down there, and it's very, very rewarding. I go down. I don't do surgery anymore, but I go down there, and I'm uh, part of the cheering section. Say, hey, add a boy, add a girl. Way, way to do. Yeah, well, let me show you this. Let me. How about this? Da, 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 da. And and it's a big party. Yeah. Well, and and it's funny. We've all been so inundated with thinking about community cats on a local level, and it's not becoming. It is a worldwide issue. And um, so one of the points of having this podcast is that people all around the world can listen to it and can exactly. learn from it. And I can interview people from all around the world because, you know, we have cats everywhere and we need to be able to react to them in a humane way and aggressively sterilize every one of them. Um, you know, I, I tend to refer to Adam and Eve, to two cats that, you know, get adopted or this friend gives you a cat. And I want to make sure that if Adam and Eve get abandoned, that they are spayed or neutered before they get abandoned. I mean, I, obviously, I don't want them to be abandoned, but if they have to, I want to make sure that everybody is, is sterilized as early and as soon as possible. Yeah, that's where the early age comes in. It allowed the people, the caretakers that were tending to the the youngsters before they're old enough or ready to to be adopted out, and there was which is at about eight weeks of age, eight to ten weeks, and uh, getting those animals sterilized before they leave your protection and care, and goes to someone else who might drop the ball and not get it done, and whoops, you know, there you go. Right. Uh, I contributed, even though I did my best not to. Well, if you actually get in and you're working with a few veterinarians who will and are, are, are delighted to go ahead and do the, the early age group, the anywhere from seven seven weeks on up to 14 weeks, those people are are, are, are absolutely jewels of the profession living right in your community. It's just people who are looking for people, uh, for a veterinarian, maybe they're to do that. Maybe they're sitting, veterinarian says, no, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to be bothered. Like it's not right, uh, whatever their reason is. Uh, go around to you, find one who is sympathetic. We'll give it a try. We'll see and do it. Encourage them to go along and they'll build on it. And when they build on it, they'll see how, what a difference it makes and how how much easier it is anyway. So that part of early age is uh, is what we're working towards. Oh, I, I agree. At the organization that I was involved with, when we started in 1992, we were doing mm. early age spay neuter at that point in time. And, and mm. one of our first lines in our policies of the organization is that no cat is going to be adopted without being spayed or neutered, you know, beforehand. Yeah. And if you're going to be adopting out kittens, then you have to have a veterinarian on board with regards to pediatric stay neuter. And we were lucky that we had two young veterinarians that were just starting their practices that were eager to be on the cutting edge <laughs> and wanted to do that, yeah. you know, willing to, willing to try it, you know, willing to try something new. And they realized how easy it is, how easy it is for the kittens, how easy it is for the clinic was very successful. So it never was, from an, our organization standpoint, it was never a question. And I'm very 
thrilled that it wasn't ever a question because I do see a lot of organizations sort of agonize over this issue with their local veterinarians. And luckily, we never had to be advocates because the veterinarians were the ones that brought it to the table. So we were blessed in, in that yeah, way. Yeah, very, very blessed in that. Yeah, in 92, yeah. that was the... That was kind of the first year the California Veterinary Medical Association uh, went through and, and uh, officially said that that uh, early age was doable and had the blessing of the association. And the next year, the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, in 93, gave it a blessing also. And that was the people who were of the AVMA and it was being brought forward to them to uh, write it for everybody that it was supporting early age as a means to an end. I uh, said, it's got a snowball's chance and you know where of passing, mm. but it did pass in 93. And from then on, it was uh, stand back and, and uh, well, open the floodgates. Of, and certain, certain ones of us were very vocal about it. And that's how I really got my reputation and, and notoriety is because I was kind of there right at the beginning as champion of People are interested in finding out more about you or the Stay Mexico program, or how would they find you? Is there a quick stay technique online somewhere? I've done some looking, and people uh, can find me pretty easy. They can go to Google and use my name, W. Marvin Mackey. It'll pop up, and you can go to the menu. There's another one. We, my wife helped me uh, uh, look for it. It was uh, go to Twitter and uh, the same uh, same thing. W. Marvin Mackey or early age neutering. There's a lot of them, and it has uh, uh, it will have a lot of my work on it. And one of the things, a lady by the name of Phyllis Darty, uh, she was my champion. She was this photographer that did all uh, the photography and put all the animals. Male and female, cat and dog, old and young, all on one DVD. And I do the description in about um, three-quarter time. And a lot of people have said, you know, that really, really helped me. So uh, it's it's out there. You have to do a little bit of looking, but it's, uh, that's where you can go. Right. We'll do a little research, and if we find some good links, we'll put them in our show notes for everybody. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Is there anything, uh, any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners before we close today? I'm thinking one of the one of the bright areas is uh, where, where we had such a problem earlier on finding veterinarians and getting veterinarians to actually do the work is uh, what I've observed and everybody knows. It's a female profession. A lot of them that would only like to work part-time. They have flexible hours. They want to put it in and around their kids and making taking care of a family. There are going to be a, a additional lot more who are willing to do that. And so uh, the, the, uh, the, the personnel in that area of, of the surgery itself is going to be there. And I'm pretty heartened about that. Yeah, I do know that some people are very concerned about a potential shortage of say neuter veterinarians, even though we do have, you know, quite a few training programs out there, but the growth of the clinics probably has outpaced the growth of the veterinarians to a certain degree, but as long as our organizations are willing to work with someone who wants to have a flexible schedule, then um, we should be able to, you know, bridge the gap 
talking about, I mean, as you started as a relief veterinarian, you know, that there's that concept of, you know, working in a clinic can be exhausting. It can be a long, tiring day. And if you then have, say, one person working two days a week and another veterinarian taking the other three, then they can keep their energy up. You know, you've done some phenomenal numbers, but I'm not sure that everybody has that kind of energy out there and that they need to take time to be able to recoup and recover. And and so I I do agree that I think that there is going to be a great group of veterinarians and there are, you know, there are more veterinarians interested in doing the high volume spay neuter because of the possibilities of flexible scheduling. Yeah, yeah, I'm heartened by it, and I, I think we're people like yourself, your organization. Um, I know you're familiar with Esther Meckler and her uh, her new program that's coming on board. There's new people, new energy, new uh, vitality coming around the corner, so uh, we're not going to run out. Well, Dr. Mackey, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on our show, and I know we could talk for another half hour or hour longer, so. I'm hoping that you would be willing to be a guest in the future. Uh, You can count on it. I enjoy it because I know it's doing some good. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 